Well, good morning, and good the mic is working. Uh, I want you to take your Bible and join me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Does anyone not have a handout? Uh, good deal. Our one over here, if we have any left, and if not, probably can. There we go. I've had the honor, uh, Charlie mentioned a moment ago, that uh, my wife and I have four sons. And because I am a, a pastor, an ordained minister, I've had the joy of marrying, performing the wedding of all four of my sons, uh, which that's a great delight for Dad, I can assure you. And when I performed their wedding ceremonies, just like I do every time I perform a wedding ceremony, uh, I read scripture, and I always read, of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the beautiful love chapter. Uh, I read Ephesians 5, 22-33, which we worked through yesterday in our conference. But I also read Philippians 2, 1-5, because I want the couple to understand that striving for and pursuing the mind of Christ, I think, is essential for a healthy marriage, and also it will bless them as they treat one another in the way that Paul describes the mind of Christ looks like. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is what he writes. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and especially verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry, I like the translation selfish ambition better, or conceit, and I like the translation vain conceit better, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, what I'm going to do is walk through these verses quickly following the outline that you have on Philippians 2, 1 through 5, get real about the relationships of life, and then I'm going to take the remainder of my time and just be very practical and talk about some basic principles that I think naturally derive out of Philippians 2, 1 through 5 that are pertinent for any relationship in life, but in particular, for those of us that are married, uh, our marriages, for those of us that are parents, how we relate well to our children, but also as children, how we relate well to our parents, because uh, many of you, if not most of you in this room, still have parents, uh, even though you're outside the home, and you want to strive to nurture and, and, and have healthy relationships in all of those areas. Well, the first thing Paul does as a good teacher is he starts with a positive word, and he tells them, I want you to enjoy the divine blessings that God has for you, and they're for them that you see there in Verse 1, first of all, he says to the Philippians, let the Lord encourage you. If there is any encouragement for being or being in Christ. In other words, the fact that you and I have been saved, converted, redeemed, that we are now united with Christ. No matter where you go, he's with you. No matter what you go through, he's there also. That should be an encouragement to your heart and to mine. And just by way of reminder, Philippians is one of four letters in the New Testament that we call prison epistles. Paul was in prison when he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, 
Colossians and Philemon. Now, he's also in prison later when he writes 2 Timothy, but that's a separate later imprisonment. Paul does not expect to be released when he's in prison during 2 Timothy's writing, but he does anticipate he may be released during this first imprisonment. But again, he's in prison. He doesn't know what the future is going to hold, and yet he can say, because I'm in Christ, I'm encouraged. Secondly, he says, let the Lord love you. Not only is there encouragement in Christ, but there is comfort from love. Now, he doesn't specify from whom that love is, but because of what he just said, I think first and foremost he would say the love of Jesus, again, ought to bless you and ought to sustain you. But I also think he would say the love that we experience in the body of Christ also ought to be an encouragement and a blessing and something that enables us to stay in it when things may be difficult. Then number three, let the Lord fellowship with you. And if there is any participation, some translations have the word fellowship in the spirit. Now again, I think he first is talking about the personal fellowship that we have with the Holy Spirit. After all, the Bible says that your body, when you are converted, becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. So not only is Christ going with you everywhere you go, the Spirit is going with you wherever you go as well. But I also think he would probably have in mind the fellowship of the Spirit that God intends to exist within the body of Christ. And I want to say this just as a quick aside. I can't think of hardly anything that is more healthy and helpful to a marriage than being part of a faith community. Uh, that we have people that we can go to when we're hurting, people that we can cry on their shoulder, people that we can lend a shoulder when they're hurting. I, I really struggle and, and with great sympathy how unbelievers get through some of the things they get through in life. I don't know how they do it. Because going at it alone, going at it not realizing that God's involved in all of you, know, even though it's painful and hurtful, it's always encouraging to me to know that this did not catch God by surprise. He knew before time ever began that Danny Aiken would be going through this experience or this one over here, and he planned it. Because we're going to see in a moment, he's using it to conform me more and more to the image of his son. And so we are encouraged, we're loved, we have fellowship. And then he just says, just let the Lord be good to you. And if there is any affection and sympathy, again, some Bibles have the word mercy. So Paul says, when you came to be united to Christ, you should be encouraged, you should be comforted by love, you have the participation in the Spirit, you have affection and sympathy. Therefore, number two, exhibit the divine behavior that God expects from you. And there are three things that Paul highlights in verses 2, 3, and 4. Unity, humility, and sensitivity. First of all, unity, verse 2. Complete my joy, make me a happy apostle by being what? Well, I have just talked about four blessings from God in verse 1. Let me now talk about four aspects of unity in verse 2. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Now, let me be careful here. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Paul is not saying in the church, 
in your marriage, in your family, everybody has to act exactly the same way and think exactly the same way and do everything exactly the same way. He's not saying that at all. Uh, my wife and I, we're still working on it, but in recent years, we've uh, discovered a real joy in allowing one another the freedom to do things differently. Just, you know what? As long as it gets done, who cares? So, for example, there's a Walmart not very far from us. I know that the best way to get to the Walmart is to go down 98, hit US-1 because it's two lanes and kind of moves quickly, especially for someone like me who uh, has a very unredeemed right foot. And then I get down, but she's like, oh, no, no. It's much safer to go down 1A, so instead of going down this way, you go down this way, which is slower. Uh, you run the risk of more backup with traffic lights, but guess what? As long as you get to the Walmart, who cares? It doesn't really matter. And yet, how many times will we get into a knockdown dragout over something silly and ridiculous like that? So, being of the same mind, having the same love, and so on, doesn't mean that we are uniformed. But it does mean that we are united and together on those essentials. I think that's really what Paul would say. So, for example, when, when we got married, just again, a, a quick word of testimony. Uh, we were very young, very immature, no, no, no counseling or anything. But we had already determined. We knew that God had called me to be a minister, and Charlotte was all on board with that. Uh, we had decided that we felt like, I don't know why, but we felt like we could take care of four children. We had also decided that we would have her be a stay-at-home mom because if anybody was going to screw our kids up, we wanted to be the ones to screw them up, not a daycare. And so we had determined that she would be a stay-at-home mom, and we would just make the sacrifices. We would drive that older car, and we'd wear those older clothes, and we would not go out to eat unless they had a special where the kids ate free. And then we we flocked to that thing every night that they offered that. And, uh, probably put a many a business out of uh, out of business into bankruptcy but we were together we, we knew that the church was going to be a vital component of our lives and then as we moved along in life uh, our boys were all very attracted like their dad was to athletics and we made decisions you know what and maybe this wasn't the best one but we didn't really go on summer vacations for about 15 years say so why not because my boys were playing baseball and then they started uh, 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 football early in uh, uh, early August, and it just there wasn't plus there wasn't a lot of money, so we just said, well, you know, this will be all right, uh, this will be cool. Now there was some areas where we didn't just uh, see eye to eye, and we we didn't always negotiate the way that we probably should. Now, I mean, this is just me, okay? So you're I, you're probably none of you like this, but I'm not like I'm not like a big Christmas tree person. I mean, you said, well, don't you like decorating them? I've never decorated a Christmas tree in my 45 years of being married and my 65 years on this planet. Why would I want to do that? I mean, I, I find that it's like painting. A lot of you guys like to paint. I don't get that. I mean, it's just, it, it just the thought of it. I, my, my pulse is increasing right now, and my blood pressure just went up. I mean, I'll work hard to make enough money to pay somebody else to do it, because I'm just not really interested in that. Well, of course, preach, my brother, wife. Preach. Do you think, brother? <laughs> I, I've got a comrade here. My wife's the other way. 
But see, so when we would be in Dallas to go to, uh, we'd always go to Atlanta to see our family, I'd manipulate the boys. I said, well, guys, here's the deal. If, if we don't buy a Christmas tree and decorate it, you can get more Christmas presents. <coughs> and of course, I would then say, well, honey, I think we ought to vote on it, which would just make her madder than a hornet. And um, so we didn't get Christmas trees for, for a long time, but then finally she said, you can do what you want to. You can lie to those boys. And I wasn't lying. They get a little bit more, but you can. we're having a Christmas tree. And she would put up a Christmas tree. And, you know, I've acquiesced. It's not really a big deal. I don't, I don't decorate it. And she's kind enough to say, you just don't bother me setting up my Christmas tree and we'll be fine. Well, we are of at least one mind on that, though we had to kind of work and negotiate and navigate uh, to get there. But God wants us to have unity in our marriages and relationships, but he also wants us to be humble. And I don't think personally there's a more valuable verse in all the Bible when it comes to relationships than Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Kind of an attitude that says, I must have what I want. I don't care who gets hurt. I don't care who I have to run over. I must have and get what I want. That nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's the attitude of your heart that says, I deserve what I want. I'm the smartest. I work the hardest. It's mine. And by the way, can I get real spiritual for a moment? How many of you in this room really want ultimately uh, what you deserve? You know, we all deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. No, I don't want what I deserve. I want what God's grace has made available. So don't let anything be done through that attitude, I must have what I want, that attitude, I deserve what I want. No, with humility, count or consider others more significant, more important than yourselves. And then sensitivity, which rolls right out of it. Let each of you look. It's, it's a beautiful word, by the way, in the Greek language. It's the word skopentes. You can hear the word telescope, microscope. It means to look at very intently. And so he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others uh, better than yourselves. Let each of you scope out not only his own interest, but also the interest of others. In other words, a good way to start each day is to say first and foremost, Lord, how can I honor you and please you today? Secondly, my mate, my children, people I work with, Lord, how can I bless and serve them today? I'm not going to work to see what I can get or what I can demand, but I'm going in to see how I can bless and encourage and be kind to others. At Southeastern Seminary, we have what we call internal core values. Internal core values. And this is kind of guides that we use when it comes to hiring people. And the three of them are, we want people to be lighthearted. I'll come back and explain that. 
uh, servant-oriented and mission-driven. That's our three internal core values. And I'll say this very quickly. Every time we have violated that, we have regretted it. Oh, we found some guy or some woman unbelievably gifted, unbelievably talented, but they did not match up with those three core values. We hired them because, well, we'll, we'll work it out, and, and we regretted it. Lighthearted. You take your calling in life seriously, but you don't take yourself seriously. That's what we mean by that. In other words, you're the kind of guy and gal people like hanging out with. You take your mission, you take your calling, you take what you do seriously, but you don't take yourself seriously. You're an enjoyable person to be around. Secondly, servant-oriented. One of the things I love about our school is over and over and over and over and over, when people visit our campus, they will say to me, your people are so helpful. Your people are such great servants. And God has kindly allowed us to develop that kind of atmosphere, that kind of uh, mindset at the school. And then mission-driven. We are a Great Commission seminary. We believe the final marching orders of Jesus ought to be the final marching orders of every believer. And so always we're thinking about how do we get the gospel to the nations? How do we get to the gospel to those who've never heard? How do we build Great Commission Christians who will go out and be a part of Great Commission churches and be involved in Great Commission ministry? And so those are internal core values that we have, but that being servant-oriented, God has honored that, and God has blessed that. And, of course, he'll honor that and bless that in any relationship of life. Then, finally, embrace the divine blueprint that God has put before you, knowing both the importance of your mind, but also the importance of your model. Have this mind. Remember, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Jesus reminded us in the great commandment that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he says, let this mind be in you or among yourselves, which you have seen in Christ Jesus. So again, the one that wraps all this together in a beautiful package is the example and the model of our Lord, how he has loved us and how he has served us. And how he humbled himself for us is to be our model for how we relate to one another in the various relationships of life. All right? Turn it over. And let me very quickly then walk you through about ten things. And I'll talk uh, quickly and not uh, uh, linger at most of them. But these are, again, some basic truths I think that just naturally derive out of what we just saw. Number one. Make a choice or a commitment to accept that person as they are, recognizing that they were, one, made in God's image, and number two, Christ died for them. That's true of every human being on the planet. Accepting them, though, does not entail always affirming their actions. I have a very, very, very dear friend. He is pastor of a very large church in Atlanta, extremely well-known across our convention of churches, and he has a son who is a homosexual. I know the hard, difficult, painful, tears everywhere conversations this dad has had over and over and over and over with his son. 
And yet I also know that his son does not have any doubt whatsoever that his daddy loves him and that his daddy would die for him. And even though he knows my dad does not approve of my lifestyle, my dad has my back, my dad loves me. And my friend has gone through a lot of criticism from some rather legalistic types who want him to trash his son and kick his son to the curtain. Now, social media is of the devil 99% of the time. It's just, it's just not good. People say things and act in ways they would never do face to face, but they do on social media. But my good friend just blows that off and says they say what they want to. He is my son, and he knows that I will always accept him even though I do not agree with his lifestyle. Do your kids know that? That if they did something, then I'll talk about this later, but if they broke your heart and went down a path that you know you just are adamantly opposed to, do they still know the door's always open? The door's always open. And your dad and your mom will never stop loving you. We will never stop praying for you. You will always be our son. You will always be our daughter. Number two, receive that person as someone valuable in your life. After all, God will use them to conform you more and more to the image of his son. Let me apply this to your marriage. I have a dear friend who says that when we get married, God gives us our mate as a piece of heavenly sandpaper. Heavenly sandpaper. Now, think about that for a moment. If God doesn't have to do much work in your life, you probably have a real fine piece of sandpaper. Because, you know, when you've got a piece of wood, it doesn't need a whole lot more attention. You use that fine piece of sandpaper, all right? But if you have a more rough piece of sandpaper, by the way, I don't think it's just true for your spouse. I think that's part of what God does when he gives us kids. All right? This is for free. This is, this is an aside. When God gives you your children, true or false, you got no vote in the matter. True. You didn't have a say. And when God gives us our kids, bottom line, they fall in one of three categories. Low maintenance, medium maintenance, high maintenance. And you didn't get a vote. Now, parents... If God has blessed you with low-maintenance children, you need to drop to your knees every day, put your face on the ground, and praise Jesus that he blessed you and was gracious to you in that kind of a way, all right? But you know what? Some of us, God gives not just medium-maintenance kids, he gives us high-maintenance kids. And here's the deal. You've got a decision to make. Am I just going to... Accept it, but do nothing about it and regret it and grieve about it? Or am I going to take the time and listen to me? High maintenance children require more time and more attention. That means there are some things in your life you might want to do that you're not going to do because your child needs that time and that attention from you. Now listen, I got some friends in ministry that have blown it in these areas. God gave them high-maintenance children. But rather than say no to some ministry opportunities, they were wanting to climb that ecclesiastical ladder, and basically they said, my ministry is more important than my children. 
And as they've gotten older, their regrets have grown. So if that happens in your life, number one, you need to realize God in his sovereignty gave you a high-maintenance child. And secondly, he can use that child like heavenly sandpaper to rub out of your life those things that don't look a lot like Jesus. That's after all what sandpaper does. Now, sandpaper is no fun. Sandpaper, sandpaper brings friction and heat, but the end product is always better. So you just recognize that God brings people into our lives that rub us the wrong way in order to conform us to be and look more like Jesus. Number three, accept personal responsibility for that relationship. Do not play the blame game. And I think few things are more damaging in a relationship when we do not accept personal responsibility for our part in our uh, relationships. Now, I want to be very fair, okay? Hear me well. You may be here this morning and your marriage is, is struggling, or maybe you're here this morning you've got some friction and some uh, difficulties with your children or maybe your parents. And look, the problems may be 95% the other person. I'm willing to grant that, but I've never seen a relationship where it was 100% the other person. I've seen a few that were close, but no, the fact of the matter is we're all broken sinners. We all do sinful things. Furthermore, and this is very liberating, you can't change your mate. You can't change your mate. You can't change your children. You can't change your parents. You can't. Now, God can, but you can't. Who can you work on? You. You. And so instead of playing the blame game and pointing the finger like that, take that finger and curl it back and ask the question, all right, how can I work on me? What can I do with God helping me to try to improve and help in this particular area of this particular relationship and just do everything you can to avoid playing the blame game. Number four, rejoice and value the differences looking for the positive. Rejoice and value the differences looking for the positive. Look, God loves variety, and God makes people different. And yes, because people are different from us, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a more troubling thing, but again, what you need to understand is you need to look and seek out what is it about the differences that exist in this relationship that are more positive. My, my boys, when they were younger, they really liked uh, dad's discipline more than mama's. Dad's discipline more than mom's. You think, why? Well, even though I bark a lot, I'm a big teddy bear. And so when it came to my boys, just to be honest with you, I, I was pretty lax, and I, I gave them a lot of freedom. And you know the classic. Uh, I, my boys left one day and said, Dad, we're going out. I said, great. See you later. So why well, do you know they're coming back home? Well, they always come back home. I mean, they got free room and board, and, 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 and somebody washing and drying and folding their clothes. I mean, my God, they'd be idiots to not come back. So they, they, they'd go out, and Charlotte would come home, and she would say, where are the boys? And I would say, well, they're out. And being the typical mom, she would say, well, where are they? And I would say, well, you know, they're, they're somewhere that they normally go to. <laughs> And I can see the eyes. And they, well, who are they with? 
Well, probably the same group they usually hang out with. I don't think they went to find anybody new. And, uh, well, what time are they coming home? Well, I, I, you know, they always come home. I mean, they, they, you know, they, they like it here, and, and they got a good deal. They, they all, and, and so, it's a true story. I came back from speaking one time, and Timothy, my young verbal one, comes out into the garage as I was coming up the sidewalk to come in, and he said, let me tell you something. You better never let anything happen to you. Because if something does, Mama ain't going to let us do nothing. <laughs> now, that might have been a bit of an exaggeration. But the fact of the matter is, I was probably a little too lenient. She was probably a little too tight. But put us together, and I think we actually wound up parenting our boys pretty well. And so instead of allowing that to be a negative, I look back on it now, and even then, I felt, you know, it, this, this works better. Because there's sometimes when I need to be tougher and tighter, and there's sometimes where she just needs to give a little bit more freedom and just be a little bit more relaxed. And again, we saw there was value in our differences. Number five, determined to communicate in a godly manner. What does that mean? Speaking the truth in love as you share. Learning to be a good listener, which, by the way, in my opinion, is a missing art in most people today. Most people today, because of the way social media works, you're designed and you are um, being manipulated to be talkers and not listeners. You get on Facebook and you talk. You tell people about how wonderful and fantastic and glorious and awesome your life is, which, of course, in many cases, is a bald-faced lie, but nobody really gets much on Facebook and says, let me tell you about what the disaster my life is. No, and Instagram, oh dear Lord, I don't do Instagram. Now, my wife is an Instagram queen, but if Instagram was completely true, why, we'd be in the dang millennium. Jesus would have returned to the earth and everything would be good and glorious. Now, Twitter, that's just a whole other thing. That's a whack job crowd. And uh, they just, you know, that's just, you got to, you, that's not for the, the weak of heart. And uh, it's also not for people that love sarcasm. If you're wired like that, you probably ought to stay off Twitter because you'll sin a lot. You'll, you'll sin a lot. And eventually you may have to have your pastor come knock on your door and say, look, we got to have a talk. And I'm serious. It's amazing to me that I will sometimes have to confront some of my students and even my faculty and say, you know what, if you're going to do what you're doing on that social media uh, app and avenue, you're going to have to stop or, or you can't be a student here or you, you can't work here because you're dishonoring the Lord and we just can't do that. We just can't do that, all right? So we are taught to say a lot, but we're not taught to listen a lot. And you know, uh, the Bible says in James 1.19, be swift to hear, slow to speak. An old black preacher said, isn't it amazing what God knew what he was doing? He gave us two ears and one mouth, which means we probably ought to listen twice as much as we talk. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. Number six, never assume anything. Never assume anything. I talked about this a lot yesterday when it comes to a man developing his marital radar system. Work to grow in your understanding of others. Number seven, be an encourager. Be an encourager. And in my notes, I've written two phrases, not a teacher and not a lecturer. 
not a teacher and not a lecturer. Now, I'm not saying there are not times in your life where you do need to teach. But, oh, we need people to encourage in our day and time. People are beaten down. People are discouraged. People are depressed. Uh, our, our, our current worldview and, and world situation is not healthy. And, and, you know, this is, again, maybe it's just a generational thing. I, I, and maybe it's just the way things work now. But we have more and more and more and more and more students that come to our school and immediately they, need, they, they say, i got to get in counseling. I've got to be 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 in counseling. And most of them, most of them, overwhelmingly, struggle with what? Depression. Depression. Now, a lot of it I know, and I'll talk about this a little bit in the service this morning, is that we have so many broken homes. So many broken homes. 40% of all the children in America grow up in a home where they're biological daddy is not present. 40%. And divorce shatters the world of little children. And so they come in to school, even though God's saved them and God's called them, they're, they're fractured. They're, they're broken. And they need help and they need encouragement as they try to put things back together. Be an encourager. Number eight, be real. Be honest and willing to admit your own failures. I'll say this in the service as well, and I'll say it here again. Seven magical words that ought to be in the mouth of every Christian. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And there's a word that's missing that never should be inserted, and that's the word but. I am sorry, but. I was wrong, but. Well, then just shut up. <laughs> just, just shut it down. Because what you're going to try to do, that, that's, first of all, that's not an apology. That's a, the other one is, well, if I offended you, well, you know you offended me, you idiot. Are we really having this conversation? We didn't get that offended you. What the heck's wrong with you? It's the way the world acts and things. But that's not the way a follower of Jesus, I, I offended you. I know I wronged you in some way, and I'm sorry, and I'm here to try to make it right. And tell me. I want to listen. Not get, get, get. I want to listen. Talk to me and let me know what happened, how this occurred, and what we can do to fix it. But I want to tell you something. Saying to some people in your life that right now the relationship is strained, if not broken, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Can go a long ways in beginning to mend and put back together some broken relationships. Number nine, accept yourself in Christ. It will free you to love and free you to accept others without either a superiority complex or an inferiority complex. Some of you are like me. I grew up in a really good home. Uh, I was a very good athlete. Uh, I got a lot of affirmation in terms of my abilities and what I did in, in athletics. And uh, it would have been easy, and maybe still is, for me to think more of myself than I ought. Uh, but God has a way of dealing with that. My wife, on the other hand, as I'll share briefly in the service this morning, grew up in a children's home. Her parents divorced when she was little, and her world was destroyed, and she goes to a children's home where she never sees her parents until we get married, basically. 
and though she has been marvelously healed by the Lord Jesus Christ and all of that, I think for a long time she suffered in the other direction. And what she needed to be reminded of is, you are my little girl, Charlotte, from the Heavenly Father. And I sent my son to die for you, and you are of inestimable, eternal value and worth to me. And that allows her then to have a sense of healthy self-worth. That is what God intends for all of us to have. So you need to just ask the question, which do I suffer from? Am I more likely to be a little cocky and arrogant and think more of myself than I ought? Or am I the other way that kind of seems to be down and beaten and I just don't really think God can use me and I'm not really worth very much? Both of those are wrong. You are of eternal value and worth in the eyes of your Heavenly Father. And then number 10, be a lover. Learn to speak in a language that they will understand. Have me read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Languages of Love. Great book. You all ought to read it. But if you want the Reader's Digest version, here it is. He says there are five love languages that all of us have. Words, touch, service, gifts, and time. Here's the problem, though. Most of us, because it's our love language, tend to speak that love language at our mate or at our children or at our parents. And then we get frustrated when they don't respond. But you fail to understand that's not their language. So in my life, Danny Aiken, that's why they're the first two, words and touch. I love to be, especially by my wife, praised. And I'm like a hound dog. I like to be petted. So my wife knows I like to have my head scratched. I like to have my head hand rubbed. I like my arm to be rubbed. I like my back to be rubbed. I like my legs to be rubbed. I especially like my feet to be rubbed. My wife knows that she can seduce me anytime she wants to get anything she wants by offering me a foot rub for an hour, and I'll do whatever she wants because I'm like a hound dog. I like to be touched. She's not like that. Now, it's not that she doesn't want me to ever touch her, but I should have learned on our first date that she was not the touchy kind. You say, why? Well, on our very first date, being the romanticist that I am, I took her to see the movie Jaws. That was our first date. We went to see Jaws. <laughs> it's not funny. I mean, you know, it's a great movie. But anyway, so we go see Jaws, and of course, you got that big old fish, you know, and so it gets a little scary. So on our very first date, I get that all around her. And I, being me, start rubbing her shoulder. And being me, I just kept rubbing that puppy. About 10 minutes or so. She says 30, but I don't think it was, but about 10 minutes. And on our first day, she finally looks at me. I still can't believe we got married. She looks at me, she says, you trying to dig a hole in my arm? <laughs> so I yanked it back, and that's why. She's well, I don't mind having your arm around me. But gosh, you don't have to keep like digging in the same place. So I, I have learned over the years that touch is not her thing. But you see those last two things there, gifts and time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And by the way, they don't have to be expensive gifts. They just have to be something where she knows I took the time to buy it because I was thinking about her. And the other is she wants me to spend time with her. So in your marriage and in your family, just stop and ask, well, I know this is kind of how I speak love. How is it that my mate really hears love? And just begin to speak and love them well in a language that they will understand. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. 
that we can uh, consider the wonderful wisdom from Philippians 2, 1 through 5, and just some practical things we can do day in and day out in our marriage, our family, and Lord, really in all the relationships of life. Help us, Lord, then to pursue the mind of Christ that we could be a great blessing to others just like you have blessed us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's blessings. We will see you in the worship service.